a few things to tie up before we return to the desert. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claibon and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. So kicking us off to start with, we've got the US-based Andretti team. They've had a bid to enter Formula 1 with the General Motors Cadillac brand that's been approved by the FIA. Now Andretti Formula Racing were the only team approved by the FIA out of four possible candidates, but they'll only be admitted if they deem to add value to the championship as a whole, this will be the next thing that's assessed in the next stage of the process. So our thoughts then on another team potentially joining Formula One. I think it'll add value. And you don't have to go far back in time when we used to have more than 20 cars on the grid. And so to me, it seems really normal to have more than 10 teams, to have you know, 22, 24 cars racing around a circuit but it for anyone who joined very recently this will be a bit of a debacle and if you had your ears to the ground you'll know that basically the the 10 teams in f1 don't want to give up their slice of the pie because they've had it pretty good ever since sort of 2016 2017 when um the people like uh, mauritius man of mauritius like, fell out of the of the sport they've had more of the winnings to themselves. And so we've they've been left basically living the good times where Formula One's been growing in popularity. And as a result, they've been keeping more of the prize money. And now another team, and, and um, in the form of Andretti this time, but it could be other teams in the future, are saying, hey, we want a little bit of that. Uh, the people like Ferrari, Mercedes, Haas, they're thinking, no way. I want to give up this. But... From my perspective, this is really good. Andretti, I think, would be a bit of a wildcard option and would give opportunities for new drivers to get in um, to the sport because teams like Haas at the moment are turning away younger talent and going for older, steadier drives, which means there are two seats that are going to individuals that have already been in Formula 1. And what I would say is if we hadn't have had more teams on the grid, individuals like Carlos Sainz, like Esteban Ocon, wouldn't have actually had their drives in the first place because it was only through teams like Toro Rosso, through Mauritius, and then if you go back even further than that with um, teams like Lotus and Caterham being on the on the grid as well, you know, we would have had drivers of different calibers, but, you know, drivers like Roman Grosjean and stuff being, you know, being um, on the grid either. So to me, it's a simple choice. It's get more teams on the grid, get more drivers on the grid, get more sponsorship, improve engagement equals more good. 
I'm in agreement. I think that the more teams on the grid, to a certain extent, the better. Like you say, it's those little teams which give the drivers their big break. Is a you see the odd example with like obviously Oscar Piastri this year at McLaren, and maybe someone like Max Verstappen at Toro Rosso a few years back, and also that Toro Rosso AlphaTauri team has given lots of youngsters a chance. But the simple fact of the matter is, unless a youngster has money, they're not going to get as much chance to get on the grid, and smaller teams who are prepared to take a punt on these drivers, they're the reason why some of these talents are discovered. Fernando Alonso started at Minardi, which was what Torosa used to be called, and they were like the 11th fastest team. They gave a young Spanish rookie a chance, and he proved to be absolute gold dust. Um, Kimi Räikkönen started at BMW Sauber back in the 2000s. If it wasn't for them taking a chance on him, again, we would never have seen Räikkönen in the sport. I think there has to be a limit. I think that two more teams would be fair. I remember the the days of the early 2010s where, like you said, we had Mana Marussia, Caterham, and remember HRT? Yeah, no, HRT, not hormone yeah. replacement therapy, but uh, Hispania, <laughs> yeah. Hispania racing team. Um, that's 24 cars on the grid. And admittedly, those three teams were ghastly slow and mm. they couldn't really keep up in the development race. But... We had more cars on the grid, and it was it was interesting. And drivers got their break. I mean, Jules Bianchi, remember him? He um, yeah. he started at started at Man and Marussia, and would have progressed up the grid were it not for his his fatal accident at Suzuka. Um, like Daniel Ricciardo started at HRT. You know, Toro Rosso mm-hmm. wanted to put him in F1, give him a drive, and he started there, and then progressed up the ranks to become a multiple Grand Prix winner. I think this application being met is very good news for Formula 1. It gives extra two seats on the grid. It means that there'll be less chance of an argument over whether someone like Liam Lawson should have to wait for a seat on the grid. We can just stick him in the next in in the 11th team. <coughs> and if it means more than if it means anything else, it means that if Max Verstappen ever has to win from the back of the grid, he at least has four more cars to overtake. So it makes <laughs> him a bit makes it a bit more difficult for him, thankfully. <laughs> I'm a bit more sceptical about this, if I'm honest, because I think back to the days of Formula 1 having more than 10 teams, and I think, well, if it was so great, why isn't that the case now? Why did teams leave? And I think, well, the opportunity, and in theory, it sounds very good to have more teams on the grid. I think, in reality, it presents more opportunities which look alive and kicking and well, but are often dead. And you often have teams having to rely more on paid drivers and drivers who more often than not really don't have the calibre to be in Formula 1. Vitaly Petrov being a good example of that one. Bruno Senna, another example of a driver that wouldn't have got into Formula 1 through the current system in terms of there being 10 teams that was given it because there was a wider, let's say, more bloated Formula 1 system. That being said, I do think it's very important that if teams are to join, they should be A, vetted, as they are, but indeed add value. And I think that the like of Audi coming in and Dretti as well, as we hear in this story, potentially coming to Formula One is very much a good thing. But to use a more sort of sceptical, historical example, we've seen many a different uh, car manufacturer come into the team or come into the sport rather and leave. Toyota, BMW being examples of that, the various iterations of Lotus as well. So I welcome it in principle, but I think I'm perhaps a bit... Scarred is the wrong word, but haunted by the more recent iterations of more teams equals more racing equals good. I think if we're going to go and have that opinion when it comes to races and the calendar, 
you also need to go and bear that in mind, I think, when it comes to drivers and teams, personally. I think there's been some changes since we saw the catastrophic collapse of you know Lotus, for example, and, and how they got bankrupt and fell out of the sport. Teams like Catrum as well just didn't have enough money, fell out as well. And it's not a cheap sport. We must remind ourselves it's not a cheap sport. Andretti's entrant bid is, well, it's supposed to be $200 million, but there have been discussions, haven't there, about whether or not he'll pay more than that. Teams want more than that for him to enter. And um, it may well settle around the 400 million mark. We'll wait and see. But the the reason I think we're getting more interest in the sport is because of the, the reforms that have been made to the to the way that the prize money is dealt and also the way that teams can spend that makes it more appealing. In fact, whilst Haas have made many mistakes in in the sport, they t- did one thing absolutely right. And they timed their entrance into F1 perfectly um, because when they joined the sport and, and debuted in 2015, F1 was pretty cheap. It was pretty cheap to enter. It was unpopular in 2015. And it's weird to think that now because that was that was eight years ago. And you think, wow, oh, and a lot changed eight years. But it was F1 was kind of unpopular. It was falling in, in standings. People weren't really watching it. Peak Mercedes dominance as well. And and little would we know about the 2016 excitement, Rosberg versus Hamilton. But, you know, 2015, uh, kind of a bit of a meh period for Formula One. And has joined. It's kind of cheap. And then the other team sort of fall out and leaves you with 10. And ever since then, ever since 2016, things have been picking up a little bit. And it's becoming more and more popular for the teams. And so Haas has, has gone in low and is now, if you think about it, worth an absolute fortune because of what they represent. They represent a, a place on the grid that's worth at least, according to Andretti, you know, 200 million. And it's going to be more than that, let's face it, because they've got all the facilities behind them and they've got that golden ticket onto the grid. So I disagree, Tom. I think if you go back, you know, 10 years, you're absolutely right. Formula One is only giving money to basically Ferrari <laughs> and the other mainstay teams that have been there for donkey's years. I mean, Ferrari still paid a, a, a certain amount of money just because they've existed a long time. But what I'd say now is growing popularity, budget caps, good prize money at the end of it, and excellent status means that Formula One is quite an appealing thing for companies that have a lot of money to spend on whatever they want. And I'm personally quite pleased that we've got a potential new uh, manufacturer in with Cadillac as well. Okay, I don't particularly think much of their cars, but I think it could only be a, a, a good thing that we expand out and the US market's a big one. We don't want to ignore it. So I think that we are in a new era of Formula One, perhaps. And I agree, Angus, that I want another team on top of Andretti. I would like it to be back to 24 if only because then that means I can pretend that I'm uh, eight years old again. Yeah. Huh. In terms of going up to 12 teams, what what else can we say? Because one other bit in the news, obviously Andretti's had their application accepted. Um, we've got this Rodin Cars team. I don't know if you've read about this, but the team which um, was going to have supply of cars from New Zealand which in a calendar where it only goes down under once a year I'm a little bit skeptical about that personally 
Um, and also they plan to reserve one of its two race seats for a female driver, which I think is a fantastic initiative. Um, and their application was rejected. Thoughts on that? I think the fact it had a New Zealand base probably worked against it, right? I think as well, the big brands are always going to come in and always going to go and, I suppose, show their credibility and show why it's worthwhile to have them in. I think you look at teams like Haas, for example, and the various other ones which aren't bolstered by manufacturers per se, and I think they're more the anomaly to the rule than the rule itself. I think that perhaps they got lucky, but when it comes to the standard situation, I think it is car manufacturers win out because as you say it's a very lucrative market at this point there is also the concern as well about can a team uh, continue to go and operate uh, within its own finances i.e make profits and be able to do well or lose money indeed and be able to carry on because we see two different teams in alpine making profits uh, more recently aston martin not making profits so it shows that it doesn't matter necessarily where you are in the grid and the table at the moment you can often have a uh, a, a roller coaster, shall we say, of a financial history, or indeed a short-term sort of uh, half and and then some, really, when it comes to a season. So maybe finances were to play with it as well. I'd say. I'm not sure why they were rejected. My suspicion is they're not founded. Uh, they're really enough foundation, perhaps, in motorsport. So if Rodin is, itself is quite an interesting company because they they actually specialize in these sort of lightweight um f0 cars uh they, they look kind of like formula one cars already um but they've partnered with carlin and carlin racing which you may be familiar with if you look at formula two for example and so um rosen is partnering with carlin for formula two and that's their that, that's their new partnership and i imagine that they're looking at what they're doing in um in Formula Two and thinking, well, let you know, let's step up um, to Formula One. So I think perhaps it's actually one to watch in the future because if they continue to to partner with Carlin, bear in mind that Carlin itself is a Red Bull Junior team, hence why it's got the Red Bull livery on when they're driving around at the moment. Um, that so there there are these sort of tentacle networks into Formula One through their new partnership. So I I could imagine them doing quite well at the moment in, in Formula 2 and you know, Formula 4 and then proceeding to look at Formula 1 in a few years time so you know at the end of the day IndyCar as well I would expect there may be some interest from IndyCar teams into Formula 1 in the future so I don't know where they will come from but I think it was certainly an interesting bid at the very least um, from from um, Rodin I just wonder whether or not they were rejected on the grounds that they weren't ready yet. They hadn't proved themselves enough yet. Let's not forget that Andretti has quite a lot of ties with the FIA already. Would we be in favour then if there are if there is another team or there's two more teams, do we think then that the point scale, if you will, should drop down to P twelve, P fourteen to accommodate more teams, or maybe not? It's an interesting debate. In IndyCar they have a system where they have points down to every position, so even if you finish like 25th and you've retired from the race, then you still get two points or something like that, or five points. Um, now, the the, ca- the counter to that is that the winner gets 50, and I think the second place gets 40. So you get a lot more points from it. And if we adopted that, it would shatter the points records in uh, in Formula 1. But um, 
It's yeah, it's an interesting point. At the same time, if you take if you give that option there, you take away the uh, the will of, for example, being down in twelfth, thirteenth place and wanting to get that ex that that last point because then you think, well, I'm going to get eleven points anyway for finishing twelfth, so you might as well might as well not not push for it. What do you think, Tristan? I think that it would be a good idea to expand the point system. I don't necessarily think we have to have points all the way down. And yeah, Angus, I agree that you need to have a cutoff so that you get that sort of desperate lunges for the the significant point, the one point that will push your team forward. But I don't think we should have a, have a scenario where at the end of the year when like four teams all have no points. Sometimes in Formula 1 at the moment, you might have a season where two teams have no points. But I feel like if you got four, it starts looking a little bit weird. So I would expect a review of the point system. I think we're in due a review of the point system anyway. Because I think there are some odd things at the moment. Like fastest lap can only go to a team that's already in the points. Which means that there's no like other strategy advantages down the down the field so for example if you're you know if you're last you've saved some tires and you're last you stick them on and you try to get that fastest point or perhaps you're in you know 11th place and you've just about got um, a pit stop between you and the person behind and you, you know again you put on some new tires and you go for the fastest lap you know though i feel like at the moment we sort of neuter these unusual scenarios where one point can come out of nowhere simply because we put these artificial limitations on who can actually access the bonus points. We have, as I say, I think we need a little bit of a review at the moment. Um, and I would expect, therefore, that perhaps if we had two more teams, points would go down to 12th place rather than 10th. Yeah. I do think that's inherent if you're going to go and have 12 teams. You can't just have the old system. It's like to use an analogy of saying, oh, you know, well, these pair of trousers fitted you when you were 12, so you're 15 now. Well, you just carry on as you are. Um, and as well, when it comes to not only points, but points means prize money as well. If you're not going to go and give more opportunities for teams who have just joined to get more prize money, indeed the ones in the sport that's now bigger because it's generating more because more uh, people, more constructors are in it, then you're going to see the same old problem I feel of the early 2010s where you're going to have two teams, maybe even three at the back, that have no chance in hell of getting to P10 or P9. They then crash out the sport because they're just not getting any prize money and they're, I suppose, uh, they're, they're needing, they are uh, solely about because of the money that's being invested into them. You need to have a sustainable model, I feel, for Formula 1. We say it's so expensive. So often, I suppose, the situation needs to go and fit what, what's happening, really. So I think you can't have one without the other, would be my sort of thought. Putting them down two more places is an interesting point. Do you remember the time when Bernie Eccleston, remember him, suggested that the point system should be changed so that it would be the driver with the most wins would win the championship and that would be it and they wouldn't decide any other positions it would just be the driver with the most wins would be the winner and then they'd have a count back for you know second third fourth etc i think i thought that was an awful idea when it when it was suggested but um yeah bernie Eccleston, i would yeah. say was the uh, best custodian of uh of formula one especially towards the end like, i mean he had bonkers ideas do you remember when they brought in that rule that drivers weren't allowed to be given information from the teams. And so 
you would have you know a, a someone radio in and be like oh there's a problem with the the car and then the team would go um yeah there is and and they wouldn't be able to give them the settings to sort of change it and things like that and of course they roll back on all that now there were loads of those weird moments under Bernie Ackerson where they just did things for no reason or for for um some half-baked notion about how it was better during the 1960s when you know people drove around at 150 miles an hour and burnt to death like proper men <laughs> or the rule when they're only allowed one helmet change a season why yeah. oh, ridiculous yeah. so moving on then to our second topic alfred tauri we touched on this a bit last episode spoiler alert when it comes to their driver lineup for next season Liam Lawson will not be in it as one of the permanent drivers that'll be Yuki Tsunoda and Daniel Ricciardo our thoughts on this then we touched on this but what do we think about Daniel Ricciardo retaining the Alvatar receipt along with Tsunoda and Liam Lawson not getting a sniff boo boo don't like it mm. I've been I've been vouching for Lawson ever since he stepped foot in that F1 car and all that time ago, five weeks ago it was. Um, life can change a lot. But no, I think that he's done more than enough. Like He's he's come in, it's not the same as when Nick DeVries came in for that one-off race last year. Had a, let's be honest with hindsight, favourable set of circumstances, aka engine penalties, and which bumped him up the grid. And then uh, Williams, which is a rocket ship in a straight line around the circuit with the longest straights on the calendar. Now, what you have now is you have a driver who is in a, let's be honest, the Alfa Tauri is a pretty woeful car overall. It's last in the Constructors' Championship. It's been on an upward trend, but it's still, it's pretty rubbish. And yet, he's getting the absolute most out of the car, not in one race, not two, but four races on the spin. He's measured up favourably to his teammate, who is been in the Alpha Tauri team for three years or coming up to three years now is Yuki Tsunoda and in a team where they are known for promoting young we were saying earlier on about young talent and teams giving young talent a chance this team which has done that over the years is now is now saying right I want to retain a 34 year old Grand Prix winner admittedly who might be past his best and not focus on the future and think about what the future might be, not just for for Alpha Tauri or whatever they get renamed to if they get bought out, as is rumoured, but to Red Bull as well. Like Daniel Ricciardo, I'm sorry for all those who dream about it. I'm going to crush your dreams. He is not the future of Red Bull. He's not. Simply, he's not. He's 34 years old. Like Liam Lawson is. How old is Liam Lawson? Um, 21 years old. He's born February 2002. He's 21 years old. He has experience in F2, in uh, Brit- uh, German touring cars, He has, and Super Formula as well. He has talent, he has experience, he wins on his debut in different series other than Formula 1, but, hmm. which is a bit harsh, admittedly. But um, he's proven more than enough, I'd say, to show that he's, he's f- set fair for that seat, and why not give him a go next year, let him prove his worth, to be honest. Do you, th- do you see any of the um, or- original raw young prodigy-esque sort of talent in Liam as as we've come to now reflect on um Max Verstappen back when Verstappen joined in, in 2016 um I'd say no is not that level? I'd say no this is not me backtracking because I still believe he's a very good driver Verstappen was different because you have to remember he was 17 when he started 
like when you see a 17 year old do what he did you're just like whoa this guy is like precocious he's like he's either sports stars in all sports who are at the at a high level at a young age they either go on to be stupidly good and an all-time great or they fall off a cliff because they have too much pressure at too young an age or they end up having too much excess because they get that fame and money really early in their lives like way earlier than even the age that we are um make us sound old there but um i thought i thought you made it sound like we have fame (laughs) oh i'll do it would you say what (laughs) massively overblown (laughs) depends depends you have to check our tiktok followers um do follow us on tiktok everyone but um, but in terms of law, <laughs> what a plan. but in terms of Lawson, I'd say it's not the same level because he's he's young, sure. But like, you get drivers coming to F one at really young ages these days. Like Leclerc was like twenty, Norris was a, still a teenager, Lance Stroll was still a teenager, um, Logan Sargent's like twenty one or something like that. Sonoda was very young, uh, only like twenty or nineteen or something like that when he started. So I don't think it's unusual for drivers to come in at, at that age and perform. Not that I'd say Lawson isn't doing a good job. Like I said, I think he's doing great. But Verstappen was different, you know. He he drove in an F1 practice session before he turned 17. Like, that's that's different gravy. Mm-hmm. I do wonder when it comes to Lawson, what could he have possibly done to get that seat for next season? Because I do think that AlphaTauri, Red Bull have been ideological when it comes to this decision to put Daniel Ricciardo in that seat. It's almost like they realised that Nick De Vries wasn't going to make it and that was fine. Don't worry, Ricciardo's here to go and mop up all the pieces and nobody's going to go and spoil that. Oh, he's pretty good. Anyway, we'll go Ricciardo anyway. That's how it kind of felt to me. It's like they didn't really factor in what was going on and had already made their decision from the moment that Ricciardo had sat down in the AlphaTauri seat. So... It's a real shame. Like, if he'd have won a race, I'm not even convinced he'd have been given a sniff then, which is remarkable, really. But I think that Red Bull have been so well-known for their hard-headed decision-making, but I don't think this decision is the correct one. So perhaps they've been a bit too proud, I'd argue, in terms of what they've done here. It could just be that they don't want to rock the boat. Um, I, I think that what we saw in Silly Seasons Gone By when, for example, Daniel Kvyat was removed for Max Verstappen and then they swap seats. Things like that was was built upon the fact that Red Bull kind of just wanted to move forward and now they are king of the hill. Why would you start digging, you know, holes in your garden and you know start undermining yourself? And so what they've got in Daniel Ricardo and and Yuki Sonoda, I think they see as a known quantity. What we've accidentally discovered, simply because Ricardo brought it upon himself, was an, a, a diamond in the rough and a new talent that we none of us were talking about at the beginning. And so we're a little bit stuck now, and the Red Bull itself is, is going to be now stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because do they get rid of Yuki Tsunoda for, for Liam Lawson, but in removing... Um, Yuki Sonoda, they lose a driver they've been developing for the last few years, who is let's not let's not forget a, a good talent. Also comes with it the the entry into um, the Asia region of the world, also very good, good for sponsorship and things like that. Or do they get rid of someone like Daniel Ricardo? Daniel Ricardo that has been a, a Red Bull faithful, an old 
hand perhaps in the Red Bull era and knows the team, another sort of known quantity and also has ties himself to his sponsors and also into the um, South region and Australia. And whereas Liam Lawson kind of, where does he fit into that? What what do they do? So do they rock the boat and get rid of those known quantities with Liam or, or not? But if I was Liam, I'd be looking at Williams um, because I think I think they are going to have an eye on him as well. And maybe they, he could get a one year from there. But it is a bit boring, isn't it? I, that's what my takeaway is, is Red Bulls basically don't want to rock the boat. And so they're being boring. Mm. They've done the boring mm. choice. And I commend them for playing the safe hand. But oh, come on. It's, it's not the Red Bull that we know, is it? No, not at all. And again, we're left asking that question of what is Alpha Tauri? Because they seem to be a hybrid of a academy, if you will, on Formula One or in Formula One rather, but then also a waiting room for that second seat, be that Yuki Tsunoda and or Daniel Ricciardo is going to go and take that. But it does feel if there's any consolation to Liam Lawson. It feels, and this may be nothing, but it does feel like he's taking a break from Formula One, but will return. Not too dissimilar to how things panned out for Esteban Ocon, dare I say, versus someone like Nick de Vries and perhaps Mick Schumacher, where it felt like there have to be some real changes uh, people making decisions that they didn't want to or having to go and tear up plans and go again to get them into Formula 1 immediately or in uh, years to come. Do you feel that as well? Does it feel like Liam Lawson will be back? We've heard some nice mood music, but does it go further than that, do you think? I, I think it's ridiculous that you'd make a, a decent time and wait a year because you're just there's always that problem of are they going to forget and or, or come back and, and be injured or something like that. There are always risks, especially when you have a driver that's active in other areas. And I just, oh, I just have this horrible feeling. Like, I don't don't let another Kibitza happen. Uh, and I know Kibitza is slightly different because he injured himself outside the sport, but it doesn't matter. And a, a year is too late. Tomorrow is too late. If you want to do something, do it now. Just do it today before you forget or something gets in the way. And I would hate to think that we missed an opportunity. I mean, what, what would have happened if in uh, 2016, Red Bull had passed up that opportunity to put Verstappen in Barcelona into that Red Bull? And then that would have been the, you know, they lost a win. And what a win it was, a magnificent, un unexpected win on a season that was completely dominated by Mercedes. It's always about doing things today. And I think if they leave it another year, it's going to be too late and something's going to change and we won't be living that magic that we are at the moment. And I feel like that's what an extra team or extra two teams in Formula One to link it all the way back would mean is, is we can get these extra drivers in because I feel like at the moment it's a bit silly. I, to answer your question, Tom, about what is Alpha Tauri at the moment, I think what happened was basically Red Bull were using Alpha Tauri because they've got no one else um, or nowhere else to chuck him. Nowhere else to chuck um, Ricardo, And so they thought, oh, I'll tell you what, chuck out to Vries. There's no one else waiting in the wings. Put him there for a year and then we'll see what happens with Perez. And if Perez keeps performing poorly, we'll put Ricardo back into the Red Bull. We'll have our Max Verstappen-Ricardo duo. I um, mean, you know, good times gone past. But of course... Ricardo has thrown a spanner in the works by breaking his, his his wrist and allowing Liam to take the spotlight away from him. So that's, I think, why Albert Harry enters into this weird position. But what I would say 
Ironically, of course, through getting rid of Nick DeVries, through bringing Ricardo in and Ricardo breaking his wrist, AlvaTauri has now done what it's supposed to do. It's demonstrated a young talent. And, Rica- and, and Red Bull are like, oh, oops, we accidentally discovered someone new. Mm. Oh, well, off you go for a year. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it transpires because we might be in danger of saying um, that in F1, people forget things pretty quickly. And someone like Oscar Piastri was lucky because he won the F2 championship and then he managed to stick around and be in a reserve role for a year and then got his drive. And obviously he's he's proven he's going to be, I reckon, top class. Lawson needs to do the same. He He needs to be in that paddock next year. He needs to effectively lock himself in that paddock and be there all the time and be around Red Bull, be around AlphaTauri, soak up as much information as possible because it doesn't look likely he's going to get a seat. Williams looks like it's going to close that door, whether it's Logan Sargent or Mick Schumacher going through the door instead. I think that he needs to be around and just make himself known, make his presence there so that people remember him and remember his name so that he can then have more chance of getting something for 25. So up next then, we've got the Qatar Grand Prix that's coming this weekend. And you have to go all the way back to 2021 for the last time we raced there with Lewis Hamilton, remember him, finished in P1. Verstappen this time in P2. And Fernando Alonso then racing for Alpine, taking the last place on the podium in P3. We know that Verstappen is going to be in and around that first place. Could we see Alonso and Hamilton return to their places or there or thereabouts i mean mercedes was strong last time for sure hamilton stuck it on pole by six tenths of a second in the race two years ago very different times admittedly but i don't know i reckon that there's a fair chance of mercedes doing quite well it's quite a fast circuit from memory isn't it still they're they're at the same they're at the same circuit the lasalle circuit there was i there was a um possible plan to go to a purpose-built street circuit that lovely phrase um in the capital uh, doha but they got this sort of shape the, the shape of the track it looks a bit like one of those um one of those nice leaves you find on the ground in autumn um mm-hmm. with lots of sort of jagged <laughs> curves really random comparison <laughs> the canada track yeah just a maple leaf yeah <laughs> but um it's so dark but it's got it's got some really fast corners, like sixteen corners. It's got some lovely speedy um, sections. I think may, I think that's because it's. I'm pretty sure it's it's used for MotoGP for the motorbikes. Yeah. So I don't I don't think they have they don't have as many tight corners in that series. You don't get chicanes like you would in Formula One necessarily. Um, so it's quite a flowing, nice track. That suggests to me that well, Red Bull are gonna do well, obviously. But it suggests to me as well that I think McLaren, again, are going to be up there. We may see a very similar pecking order to Suzuka, if I'm honest, because similar track in terms of the in terms of what corners you get, obviously completely different setting and like gradient in terms of how hilly it is because Qatar is very flat uh, in terms of the track. But I think you might see a similar pecking order. I think McLaren will be competitive. Um Mercedes might be there and thereabouts, possibly. Ferrari, you know, I'm just naming every single team now. Um, Ferrari, possibly, with a little mini resurgence. Will Mercedes be as good as they were here a few years ago? I doubt it. Um, 
let's be honest, we'll get onto it later, but it's all about the championship, isn't it? Um, and Verstappen, whether he, whether he or when he will wrap up the championship, um, I reckon we should do a prediction for that at some point. Because my prediction will be that Sergio Perez will absolutely dump it in the wall and that Verstappen will win the championship by by default, like last year when he won it in strange circumstances. But in terms of the track, yeah, nice track. Um, did it produce much overtaking last time? Can we remember? I feel like it was a little bit. Not a huge amount. Uh, it's, it's difficult because it's... Um, remember, it's, because it's a most GP track, it's narrow. Yes, and it's fast as well. And it's a night race. That's right, is it? It's, mm-hmm. it's a night race. Yeah. So that's something that's quite nice, I suppose. <laughs> really selling it. Um, really, really. <laughs> selling. Really selling. I mean, yeah. these tracks are hard, aren't they? These yeah. um, uh, these desert tracks because they are all very similar, mm-hmm. kind of flat, fast. Um, burn, burn the oil that we make. Ah, brilliant. Um, what I would say is there is going to be a little bit of an advantage this year over last year which is with the new regulations, cars can actually follow each other. And so the, with the fast-flowing sections of the track, Angus, which you you highlighted, last year, there you would be in the person running the dirty air and you would be starting to slide around a bit. So hopefully they will be able to take advantage of the car in front, maybe you know getting a, a poor entrance into the beginning of the, um, like the, the flowing section that compromises your whole sector and now know if you can follow properly then you can take advantage of that and that's something that we didn't really get last last time that round even if the person in front of you was making a couple of mistakes because you're you yourself are compromising your aerodynamic um, grip and downforce then you can't get past because narrow track so i'm hoping that we won't just won't have to rely on um the long straight as we often have to at some of these tracks and it will be um a bit more interesting i mean in terms of the car as well it's a um, sort of medium to high downforce and so i i'm expecting mclaren actually weirdly enough to do quite well they did quite well at other tracks like um Zandervoort and and i'm expecting them to do quite well here as well as a result hey the fight really is hotting up between mclaren and aston martin and so Hey, this could be yet another opportunity for to McLaren to get some really big points and close up that gap um, to Aston Martin. So, yeah, all 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 around, I I'm expecting it to be better than last year. I watched the highlights last year. You don't have to. Nothing happens apart from Alonso's podium and uh, Bottas kind of getting a punching, um, as Bottas did a lot last uh, time we were there in 2021. Um, Bottas had a terrible year, um, but I'm hoping that new regulations means that the um, following will be better and the the track um, will be more open to a, a better race. Yeah. So all in all, I would expect this to be a average race in terms of excitement, unless something like weird happens, you know, crashes or something like that. Yeah, I agree. And I think really for the sake of Mercedes to make sure they have, let's say, a better season than last season in terms of not only the constructors, but where they finish in various races as well. I do think they need to be knocking on the door of podiums and getting them because looking at their last few results, taking away Singapore, it's been fairly lacklustre in, in general. There's been the occasional third, one of Singapore is mentioned at Silverstone as well, Canada, and then you had that amazing sort of double podium uh, in Spain. But aside from that, it's been 
a fairly meh year, I'd say, for Mercedes. I think that Hamilton's done very well. He's perhaps gone about his business quieter than normal and done extremely well, better than Russell after not doing so the season before. But I think as a team, as a conglomerate, looking at how they performed last time out in Suzuka, for example, not only the performance, but the dynamics as well, it didn't really reek of a team that's in a good place. And say what you will about a team like Aston Martin, Ferrari and the, the boom and bust they can have, at least you know with them that when it comes to certain races, they're, they're there to win. They're there to get much higher up. And that's not saying Mercedes aren't, but they don't look like they're able to do that in really any circuits at all. So I think they need to go and put down a marker and go and show everybody that they haven't disappeared and that they're here for uh, for next season indeed, here for the last quartile or so to go and get some serious points. I think they are improving. And I would suspect as we move into next year, Mercedes are going to be able to develop their car forward and and certainly go down the route of the of the Red Bull style car. Um, I kind of don't think that they're going to get there this year. And whilst that they could get a, few, a couple of podiums, let's not forget that they've had um the the uh, position of having two of their drivers on the podium um this year. It's it's not bad going. So. But I, I would say that at the moment, because it, it's kind of tight between everyone other than Red Bull, that it's not necessarily a reflection on the fact that Mercedes isn't, you know, great. It's It could also be a reflection on the fact that the other teams around them are also equally good. So it, it could also be a symptom, if I'm being nice, of the fact that, that, yeah, second, third and fourth are all, you know, fighting for podiums and that's good racing. Unfortunately, however, the 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 group that are in first, i.e., Red Bull Racing and Max Verstappen, have been in a complete league of their own, and it's almost—I mean, almost a dead certainty. It's a oh, come on, let's face it. It's a certainty, I think, that Max Verstappen is going to take the world um, the world drivers' championship this weekend. He needs a grand total of three points. Uh, that's not three points more than Perez. That's just three points. All he needs. So I have a funny feeling that the world champion is going to be crowned, mathematically crowned, I guess is what we can say about that, um, in a sprint race. Which I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like that's going to be, yet again, a weird thing that's happened to Max Verstappen. Last time around, it was the whole, oh, is he world champion? Oh, we don't really know. Oh, Max, in, you're, you're world champion. And he was like, oh, great, thanks. I'm world champion and I'll go sit in a big chair in a room of my own in Japan. And this time it's going to be the end of the sprint race. And they're going to be like, oh, well, that's it then. You're world champion. I guess you don't need to do the Grand Prix anymore. <laughs> Imagine if he just left after that. He's like, well, I don't need to do any others. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely astounded that um, we're, we're going to be in that, this position. But yeah, there you go. So that's something to look out for this weekend. Another prediction, I think. I'm I'm willing to bet that Max Verstappen becomes world driver's champion this weekend. Whoa. Whoa. Don't stretch yourself. Steady on now. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be also, it's going to be um, after your year last year where he won it. It's weird. His first championship, he won on the last lap of the year. But his second championship, he won with four races to spare. And he's likely going to win this championship with five races to spare so he's making a habit of wrapping things up nice and early and being dominant also 
you're right. It's just it's just there's just an inevitability about it. There is nothing really which is going to stop him from winning the championship. Well, there is something that can stop him, which is like his car breaking down, but that's not going to happen. Um, and he's set fair for once again more glory. Um, I guess subplot would be interesting to see how the sprint does in Qatar, whether that livens things up a bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see that. But yeah, it's likely that Max Verstappen will join a list of 11 people, or t- no, 10 people who have won three world championships. So he'd be, he'd, he's going from being in exclusive lists to very exclusive lists. Not, uh, not to add also the fact that if he wins each of the last six races, he will finish the year with the third most Formula One wins of all time. Having he would have overtaken not only uh, Alain Prost but Sebastian Vettel. Okay, imagine that. Imagine, imagine telling you a couple of years ago that Max Verstappen would have more career wins than Sebastian Vettel by the end of 2023. You wouldn't have believed me, but here we are. It's a very much a distinct possibility. And there we go. That seems that's all we got time for in terms of episode 31 of F1 in Review 2023. Thank you very much for listening on your preferred podcast provider or indeed elsewhere, wherever you get this episode of F1 in Review. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter, X and TikTok, the handle being F1 in Review, where we post full episodes and then shorter bites of ones that came before so if you're wondering what we thought about various Grand Prix, like the Japanese one for example just scroll back back and you can go and find what we thought about those or the big topics of them so as we mentioned many times in this episode the Qatar Grand Prix is up next it's a longer form one if you will we've got qualifying at 6 p.m on the Friday so it's a sprint a weekend as well so in terms of Saturday you've got the shootout at 2 o'clock and then the sprint race itself at 6.30 that all being UK times PM if you're listening, watching, indeed observing any of that. And then finally, last but not least, the race is on Sunday. That being once again 6 p.m. UK time. So thank you very much for listening. And we will be back next week to go and discuss all of the details and fallout of this and other news coming from Formula One. Thank you very much and we'll see you later. Bye-bye.